The Latter-day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization, unless otherwise stated. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Latter-day Lives podcast. Uh, This is episode 10. We are now in the double digits and we so appreciate you tuning in every week. Uh, my name is Sean Rapier. I'm your host. If I sound a little bit different, I am just getting over a cold and uh, unfortunately kind of lost my voice. So I apologize that I sound this way. But fortunately, during the interview this week, uh, we recorded it a few days ago and my voice is totally normal. So you don't have to put up with this for the entire episode. But uh, our our interview this week is incredible. Mr. Jeff Burke, he is a comedian, an actor, an author, a presenter, and just an all-around great guy. Friends, today we have got uh, an incredible guest here in the studio, in studio, live with me, no less, and so glad to have him. He is an actor. He is a comedian. Uh, he is an all-around great guy and an amazing presenter. We're going to talk about all this stuff. Mr. Jeff Burke. Jeff, welcome. Oh, Sean, you're so dear. That's his real voice. Look That's... at those rosy cheeks sitting across. <laughs> I just want to pinch them. In, in pod world out there, if you could sit here and see this beautiful man, I just want to lay you down and roll you all over the floor and just... Anyway, should I do it? That yeah, <laughs> sure, Jeff. That's awesome. Thank you. I'm going to roll around the floor. Yes. Yeah, Jeff. Well, this thanks, is the problem. Uh, is thanks Jeff makes me. me laugh, and so I know we're. I don't know if we're going to be able to get through yes, this. In, we will. In the time allotted. So, first, we'll start off with a personal story, which is that uh, Jeff and I, many years ago, uh, 1999. I looked it up last wow. night. Wow. We did a film, uh, a short commercial film for Novell, the software company, <laughs> where we were telecommuting, and this is this will tell you how long ago it was. Our assignment was uh, telecommuting was kind of a new thing then. This yeah. is ninety nine, yeah, because you couldn't really do things from remote. Mm-hmm. And our we were uh, network administrators, and our job was to make sure all the computers. We're Y2K ready. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was our job. And oh, we were shooting. It was kind of an odd couple kind of a thing yeah. where I was the slob and you were the yeah. neat guy. And yeah. we couldn't stand each other, but we figured out how to work together thanks to Novell. That's right. But uh, there is a scene in there where we are walking down the hall and realizing we're going to live together. And we're yeah. supposed to live together for a year. And we look at each other and say, with him? And with him? I remember doing about 30 takes of that. Oh, and, and you know, when you do those and you're, you're doing a commercial or whatever or a voiceover thing and, and the director needs it done a special way, sometimes those phrases get caught in your mind for months. You know, with him? You yeah, know, I mean, that's what you know, it was. Could I, could I have a little more empathy? Yeah, <laughs> that's really what I'm looking for. Okay, uh, and go. 
With him? Okay, that, uh, it's just, oh. But we couldn't stop laughing during it, and I was the worst. I think you were fine, but uh, Tyler Meesum, such a great director. He was uh, directing that spot. But that that shoot was one of my favorites I've ever been on. That was a lot of fun. Oh, boy. Good time. So, uh, So, Jeff, glad you're here. Thank you for being here. Let's learn a little bit more about Jeff Burke. Tell us where you grew up, Jeff. Jeff Burke 101. Yeah, let's hear it. So I was born in uh, Southern California in a little province called Torrance. Torrance. Uh, Torrance, California, Redondo Beach. Yeah. And uh, so uh, I'm the youngest of five kids, and my dad was in the automobile industry. And so at the time, he was working for Toyota, and uh, he got an office job, which transferred him to uh, Littleton, Colorado, when I was about 10. Mm. So there's 10 years between me and, and my oldest brother, so we lived in Littleton for almost two years, and then we got transferred to Orem, Utah, where pretty much that's where I grew up. I went to Lake Ridge Junior High School, Mountain View High School, uh, did the BYU thing, did the mission thing, went, went to Spain, Barcelona. I'm sorry, Barcelona. Yeah, um, we had a discussion with Scott Christopher yeah. a couple weeks ago about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Scott yeah. and I, believe it or not, best friends growing up, started in, in uh, at Lake Ridge Junior High. And here we are just being our goofy selves, you know, being in all the school plays and doing all the assemblies. And and uh, I go out on my mission, and a year later, Scott writes me this letter. Guess where I got called? And I remember doing the nest tea plunge onto my bed after I read <laughs> that letter. falling over. Oh, my gosh. So it was a blast. Now, we never were companions, unfortunately, but it was funny because I was working as an assistant to the president in the office when Scott got called. Oh, great. You got to welcome him in. Yeah. Yeah. So here we are at the the Barcelona airport waiting and him and eight other missionaries are coming off this plane. Right. And so I'm, I'm like, Hey, Elder Cherry, how are you? All right. Elder, uh, Elder Johnson. Good to meet you. And then Scott comes and I kind of go, Hey, Scott. (laughs) (laughs) Did you have a hard time calling each other Elder Burke and Elder Christopher? Well, it was funny because when we got to the mission home, we're keeping it really low key, right? We don't want the mission president to know that we're best friends because, you know, then we'll never have a chance to serve together. Sure. And so we... We and, and I don't know, Scott might have told this story, but we're being very quiet, you know. And, and then finally, I said at the mission, homie, Scott, why don't you, or, or Elder Claflin, why don't you come down and, and, uh, you know, uh, let's, I, I think you might have forgotten something in the car. Let's go down and grab it. So as soon as we get down to the basement, we're like, ah, you can know, you believe this? I yeah. know. But the, we come later, find out from our mission president, he said, yeah, you should have told me that you were friends because I probably would have put you together. We're like, oh. Oh, and here you were trying subterfuge. Yeah, yeah. Well, growing um, up in Torrance, so you lived in Torrance until you were 10. Yeah. My So Vanessa, my wife, she lived in Redondo Beach Mm -hmm. for six months, right by Torrance. Uh, Torrance is an interesting area to grow up in because you can be in one block that's really nice homes and Mm -hmm. great area. You go four blocks over and you need to be really careful. I mean, there are... How how did that shape you growing well, up? Well, it's not it's not what it used to be. I mean, I was born in '66 and we moved in in, in '76. Okay, so and that so, was kind of before yeah, this was things the, changed. Yeah, this was Beach Boys and just you know it's just this wonderful. is Southern California oh, dreamland. Yeah, you know, yeah, was, that's a good time just, to live in Torrance. But it was interesting because um, I love. Uh, I should say I loved. I don't anymore since I live in in uh, in, in Utah, but. I loved living in the mission field. Yeah. I just absolutely loved it. And, and Being I around would, diversity. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so that's one thing I do miss about, you know, living in uh, La Fabrica, as they say yeah. in, Span- in Spanish, you know, the factory. Yeah. Um, but anyway, it was it was fun. It was a great time to grow up um, because, like you said, it, it did help me get exposed to diverse people and people from other religions and people who didn't think the way I did. 
Uh, yeah. So that was a good part. And you grew it. up in the church. Your parents are members? Yep. Yep. My uh, mom and dad, my uh, mom was 17. Dad was 19 when they got married. Wow. Just, uh, I, I guess they're, I can't, I can't do the math, but I think they just passed their 60th anniversary. Wow. And, um, That's dad, amazing. Yeah. Dad was a member. Mom wasn't, but she got married or she got baptized shortly after they got married. And uh, yeah. As is the saying, the rest is history. We all grew up in the church. and uh, It's yeah, it interesting fun. how many, now that we've got a few episodes under our belts, how many there are, sec- you're, you know, you're somewhat, on one side at least, you're a second generation member of the yeah. church, mm-hmm. and how much of that there is. You know, there's also a lot of pioneer heritage out there, you mm-hmm. know, but uh, boy, that's just, that's great. Yeah. So um, when did you realize, I mean, you're a comedian, you're naturally very funny. When did you kind of realize that? I feel like most comedians kind of have a time period, an age or so, when they mm-hmm. suddenly go, man, I'm saying things, and yeah. mostly, hey, girls are laughing. This is pretty good. <laughs> yeah. You know, I I've, I think about Billy Crystal's experiences, and I think about uh, Andy Kaufman's experiences when they talk about how they kind of knew. Uh, they were always performing for themselves in their bedrooms and setting up dolls and stuff. That's kind of the way I was. I think the epiphany for me came when uh, I was about 12 or 13 and uh, I got kicked out of my Sunday school class because I was making my friends laugh so hard. <laughs> and this teacher, he, Chuck Rush, that was his name. So Chuck, if you're listening, please, I, I ask your forgiveness. But he was so good at throwing erasers. <laughs> chalkboard erasers and it would skim past your forehead without hitting you yeah and uh i don't think that's in sunday school teacher training no like, i don't, I don't think, think so that's part no, of the that's, curriculum yeah. <laughs> yeah. teaching by the spirit yeah. you know as they say but um so that's when i really kind of started to figure out and i was always making funny voices and faces in school um uh, so for me it was hard to kind of Okay, I got to find the switch off button. You know, every now and yeah, then, yeah, hard to turn it off. Exactly, but yeah. I. I uh, but it's funny because as I started performing, and and I'm jumping way forward now. When I started opening and headlining, I couldn't stand to be around other comedians that were always on. Yes, I. Yes. I that just it, it's just like, can you just tone it down for a moment? And they're just always cracking jokes. And hey, what are we going to do with that? You know, it's yeah. just oh my gosh. Yeah, my so. It's a pet peeve of mine also. Yeah. For my wife, even more so. She <laughs> can't stand. What I found is, and I think that maybe you were like this, but I know I was, is usually it's the openers. It's the younger guys mm-hmm. who, you know, when I was headlining, I'd talk to my opener and go, so how are you doing? Well, okay. As far as the cops know or whatever, you yeah, know, and you go, yeah. can we be human for a minute? But they're trying yeah. to impress someone. I'm sure I was the same way. Like, mm-hmm. well, if I can impress the headliner, yeah, I'm going to really... I don't know what it's going to do for me, but yeah, yeah. But but when I was younger, same thing with Sunday school. Glenn Halliday, mm-hmm. who was my Sunday school teacher, actually sent me a message the other day on Facebook and told me I was the ringleader of the worst group of hellions he's ever met <laughs> in his. Uh, yeah, I think we were twelve, but yeah. his Sunday school class and <laughs> yeah. yeah, and and so and in, and in school too. In fact, in what fifth grade you were named funniest kid in school or something yeah, like that yeah that that was just it was kind of written on the wall you know yeah it was it was uh one of those things that was kind of my my destiny and and so to i guess i guess to continue the story um i i 
I did my mission. You know, it's funny because I was pretty serious when I was on my mission. The first six months, I was just all business. And then I got with a companion, Tom Martins, out of Southern California. I think it's either, where does Tom live now? He's in Carlsbad or Carmel, one of the two. And we'd be walking around the streets of Spain, and he would just start doing impressions of what would it be like if Bert and Ernie were missionaries, you know? And and, uh, and he did the best Clint Eastwood impersonation, you know. So you're going to read this, punk? You know, and, 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 and so all of a sudden, I started to know, you know what, it's okay to be a little bit goofy and funny on the mission. Yeah. Um, and, uh, oh, I, I, you know, we would do things like he, he would say, okay, because it was in Spanish, you know, he'd say, okay, so in this next, we'd do a lot of door contacts. It was all about knocking doors. In yeah, Spain, sure. Really. <clears throat> and, um, he, you know, he'd say, okay, so in this one, uh, you've got to, you got to say the word Frisbee. Oh, yeah. Okay, so, so we'd be sitting there going along, hola, señor, ¿cómo está? Bueno, me llamo el del Birk, this, this, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. So we'd be talking in Spanish, blah, 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 blah. And, and then we would have to kind of, you know, get the conversation yeah. to, to, oh, I just thought, yeah, where are you from? Oh, you're from southern Spain. Oh, that's wonderful. You know, in fact, I, I've I've seen pictures of southern Spain. I, I just saw one the other day. Two people were playing Frisbee on a you know, beach, yeah. you know. <laughs> and your companion's going, darn it, I yeah, thought Frisbee yeah. was going to be. Yeah, what's he going to come up with next? A uh, dog fur. Okay, yeah. you know. You know, you always think that you've come up with something original with that. Yeah. We played the same game yeah. on my mission. Yeah. And I remember uh, I was with Elder Bagley was his name. Mm-hmm. And he said, your word is snake. Mm. And uh, we knocked on a door. This is terrible. I mean, this is, but this was not the focus. The yeah, focus was sure. teaching, but we yeah. knocked on a door and a lady answered it. And I immediately went, oh, oh sorry. I thought I saw a snake. <laughs> We're members of uh, my companions just shaking his head. And I think we gave up on the game after that. Yeah. It was just too, a little bit out there. But uh, so uh, you come back from your mission, obviously, a, you know, a changed man. And uh, when did you decide to start pursuing stand-up comedy? So uh, the first time I remember going on stage, you know, apart from doing the assemblies at school and stuff, this was this was going to be comedy. <clears throat> was uh, I believe it was October of 1990, and there was a cool restaurant down in uh, it's now called Brigham's Landing, right by Cougar Stadium. It was called Caddy's. Oh, okay. I don't know if you remember that. No, I don't. Caddy's was so cool because the waitresses were on roller skates. There was a car, a, a, an old Cadillac car. I'm sure it was plastic, oh, wow. but it was full size. It was hanging from the ceiling. And they had a live stage, uh, you know, uh, as opposed to a dead stage. Yeah, um, sure. They had a stage. And uh, a friend of mine, Alan Johnson, had a band. Uh, Incidentally enough, who Alan now is the director of the Church History Museum up in Salt Lake. Oh, He'd wow. probably be a really good person to talk yeah, to on the show. Yeah, But um, so he said, hey, you know, why don't you come and give the band a break, you know, uh, and get up and do some stuff. So I went up and, uh, you know, I can't even remember the stuff I was talking about, uh, but, but that started to get me going. And then I heard about, you know, Johnny B's Comedy Club in Provo through friends at BYU. They said, hey, they have this open mic night. You got to go down. And I'm like, well, that sounds exactly like for me. So the first time I went on stage, actually, I went the week before just to watch. And then I spent some time writing jokes and blah, blah, blah. I think I went back the very next week and I had maybe five minutes of material. And I was sweating buckets. I mean, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Oh, I, Scott, Scott Christopher and I talked for about four minutes about who's sweatier, me or him. <laughs> and oh, I'm it's telling a good you. argument. I remember exactly what I had on. I had Levi's. I had a white shirt. I had white suspenders. And you had suspenders I on. I had white suspenders on. Not hacky at all. No, 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 no. Uh-uh. 
No, but oh. the suspenders back at, well in that time, they're very yeah. vogue. Yeah. But also very Robin oh. Williams. If you it, put on it, suspenders. Yeah. At least they weren't rainbow You're more of a right? comedian, right? Yeah, yeah. I got up there and I, I made it through. I was getting some laughs and stuff like that. And, and I'll never forget. I will never forget. I went back, you know, and if, if you're envisioning this, if you've ever watched A&E's An Evening at the Improv, you know, they got the, the brick wall yeah. behind you and stuff. Think of that. So I went to the back of the club and there's Johnny Biscuit. Yeah. John He's the Pack. owner of the club. Yeah. The owner of the club. Johnny B himself. Yeah. And he said, you're really good. You did really good. And I'm like, thanks. This is, are you going to come back? I mean, there's the validation right there. That's, yeah. And I knew that he meant it. And and uh, so then I just kept going back. And, and you know how it is. You get more and more material. And this is where, obviously, I met people like Dave Nibley and, um, uh, you know, a few others that, uh, of course, Michael Berkland. And yeah. and uh, that's how we kind of all started shaking. I mean, that's probably how initially you and I met. Yeah, I know, maybe I it was the so. novel video, but I know that we did a lot of stuff at Johnny B's together. Yeah, and- no, I know we met at Johnny B's. Um, it's funny because if our listeners... They may know you from your movies or from stand-up or mm-hmm. from presenting or from whatever. But if not, your name has been mentioned in three other episodes, <laughs> you know. Um, and, and yeah, Johnny B's, I, it's, it's interesting your experience going back and talking to Johnny and having him say, hey, you're good. Why don't you come back? You know, it's, it's a microcosm, obviously, mm-hmm. version of, of – well, the comedians always talk about the Tonight Show, how Johnny Carson would say, hey, come sit down or whatever. Yeah. We all wanted Johnny's validation yes. a ton. Yeah. One of the things I remember from the early days of Johnny B's is, you know, you do open mic for a while. And then at some point he'd take you aside and say, hey, do you want to do a feature? Yeah. You want to be the opener, yeah. you know? And then that was like, oh, I can open one. Yeah. Or, or do you want to emcee the show? Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things is Johnny was... Very protective of his club. He brought in a lot of, I mean, big top name headliners right mm-hmm. into Provo. Uh, and he did not let local guys, the guys who kind of came up in the club headline, mm-hmm. with the exception of Jeff Burke. I just remember that. <laughs> you were allowed to headline there and you headlined yeah. there many times. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, to, to go from there to being able to do an hour. Yeah. It just, just is crazy. I, I just thought, I mean, what in the world did I talk about as I think back? Because I don't do a lot of performing anymore. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, and, and that validation that you talked about is so important because whether you're doing stand-up comedy or whether you're doing uh, anything else, any other vocation or, or whatever, uh, it's important to get that validation and to give people feedback that's going to help them move to the next level and feel like they have value. This kind of gets into what I do currently for my full-time job with Hosea yeah. Tanner, going out and yeah. teaching people about how to appreciate each Recognition. other, Recognition. Right? Yeah. Um, the, the huge moment for me along those lines was uh, when I got to open for Leno. And Yeah, talk about opening for Jay Leno. I mean, Jay Leno is a comedy icon. I mean, he yeah. is the consummate stand-up. So people know him from The Tonight Show. Mm-hmm. But in the stand-up comedy world, he is just known as the consummate. Yeah. He still does like... A hundred plus nights mm-hmm. on the road, yeah, and that's what he considers himself yeah. before anything else as a stand-up comic. Yeah, so um, I had that opportunity as well as a few other uh, big names, you know, Martin Short, uh, Wanda Sykes, um, Kevin James, to open wow. for these people because uh, for about seven or eight years I worked for a company called Optionetics, which taught people about how to trade options on the stock market, and so I was an instructor and I'd go out and do that, and then the the CEO. Uh, and I got uh, you know got to know each other really well. He has a great sense of humor as well. And he said, "Hey, we're going to start to have this yearly huge summit for all of our students." 
And I'm um, going to have over 2,000 people at each one of these things once a year. And we're going to have a comedy night to kick things or to end things off. And I want you to open for the people that we bring in. So the first year was Jay Leno. Incredible. And so I'm up there doing 15 minutes before Leno. Crowd is just going crazy. They give me a standing ovation. And I didn't know that Leno was backstage watching the whole time. So I go back and I get past the curtain and, and I bump practically right into him. I had to duck his chin. You know, I was just <laughs> hanging right there, right? And he's like, hey, that was pretty good, you know? And I'm like, well, thanks. But then he's, he looked at me and he says, no, that was really good. I can't tell you how many of these I come and do every year. They usually stick some marketing guy out there who's cheating off of a three by five card, thinks he's funny, but then I have to win the whole crowd back. And that joke about your grandma and then that, that sound your dog made. So he's being very specific. He's wow. being very authentic and genuine about it. And I'm it's thinking incredible. this, you know, uh, what, what validation to get from the king of late night uh, you know, to to have that. And so, like you said, Sean, I can't tell you how much that did for me in my vocation, in my role, to just say, wow, I, that that was fantastic. There was no, um, no uh, tangible thing involved, no trophy, no contest. Yeah. And it cost Jay Leno nothing to do That's that. That's right. That's exactly I, right. I had, so I owe everything comedy-wise to Johnny. I mean, he gave me mm-hmm. my first start. But again, he was... Hey, I'm, you're not going to headline here, but I opened for Keith Stubbs at Johnny B's one time. Mm-hmm. Keith, who owns Wise Guys up in Salt Lake, I opened for Keith, and Keith said, "Why aren't you headlining?" Yeah, and I said, "Well, you know, Johnny's just not going to have me headline." And and Keith said, "You come up to my club, and I'll mm-hmm. give you a weekend." And that was my opening. Yeah, and again, Keith took a chance on me. Oddly enough, my first show I bombed. <laughs> first show I ever, first time I ever headlined, I yeah. bombed, and it was embarrassing. And I went to Keith and I said, "I'm not going to let you pay me." For the first show, but yeah. the second show, I promise I'll kill. Yeah. And I can see in his eyes, like, oh, I've made a huge mistake. And I yeah. ended up killing second oh, show. Thank good. heavens. But thanks to guys like Johnny and, and Keith. And I think that gives us an opportunity now as we're getting older mm-hmm. to look at guys who are, you know, coming up or, you know, for anyone. I mean, yeah. you're really anybody, if you're whether you're a teacher or a businessman, whatever, mm-hmm. it costs nothing to give a compliment yeah. and to make somebody feel better and to make someone's day. And you don't know what path that may put them on. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you were doing you were doing stand up for a while. You did a lot of corporate events mm-hmm. doing doing stand up and yep. And then you said you went to BYU. Did how long did you go to BYU? I graduated in ninety two. So I was one of those uh, you know uh, what six seven years it took me to graduate. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I would take you know a few credits here, a few credits there. But I may I uh, what's your what's your degree in? It was in international relations. Mm. And then a minor in communications. Um, and then I, I had, I think I had a double minor. As a matter of fact, I had the Spanish thing. You know, you get home from your mission, you yeah. take the test and you get 21 credits. Poof, you know, <laughs> done. Yeah. Yeehaw. So, so that was a good experience, um, you know, doing all of that. And then, and then right after BYU, it was this, it was, and I'll remember this like it was yesterday. It was, it was about a month after the Rodney King riots in oh, Southern wow. California. That's when I went down. <laughs> To try my hand at Southern California comedy clubs because a an agent from the William Morris Agency saw me in Salt Lake and he said, we want you to come down. We want to set you up at the Santa Monica Improv and blah, blah, blah. And once we do that, we'll have you start to go out with our, you know, if we sign you, we'll, you'll start to open for some of our country bands. Um, and then we'll pull you back in here to start performing at some of the clubs when pilot season is upon us. Oh, yeah. Because we've got all these casting directors for shows like... 
Seinfeld and Friends and uh, you know what was the what was the one that was really funny? Remember it was ra- talk radio. You remember talk radio? Oh, talk radio, oh. so good. So he said they Joe they, Rogan oh, was on that yeah. and uh, Dave uh, from Kids in the Hall. Yeah, right? yeah, good show. But, Phil uh, Hartman. That was the, that was the plan because they want yeah. they want these casting directors to see this. Oh, this guy would be a perfect Kramer, all right for this for this other show or whatever. Um, so I went, I, you know, here, here's the big night, right? I'm going to perform for the guy and one of his other agents at William Morris. I'm at the Santa well, Monica. And just to Bro- set the stage, uh-huh. there, there, are, there are probably, I mean, there are tons of agents in Hollywood. Yeah. There are probably three, four, maybe five mega agencies. Yeah. I mean, that yeah. you say it and every actor, every comedian yeah. in all of Hollywood knows it. Yeah. I don't know if there's a bigger one than William Morris. I the mean, only other is uh, CAA. CAA, that under, yeah, you know, creative, creative artists. artists. Yeah. And, and what happened, um, I can't remember his name, but he used to be with William Morris. He split off and, and, per, and, and formed CAA. But you're exactly right. Uh, I go down and I meet with this. His name was Rick Greenstein. And now he's over the Gersh Agency. I think he does comedy for Gersh. Another, yeah, another yeah. big one. And so I'm sitting there in Rick's office. He's got a picture of him and Milton Berle because he's Milton Berle's agent. Oh, my god. He's Bobcat Goldthwaite's agent. He's got all of these comedians. And he's talking to me about all these plans. And my No pressure. Yeah, my job is on the floor. So I go and I do my thing. I start off with my monster truck and tractor pull thing, which kills every single time. Every time. time. And this time was no different. But then I started to want to try some new material. It just kind of tailed off a little bit. Didn't end with a big bang. So he's kind and gracious enough to spend an hour with me after my set talking about this worked, that didn't work, blah, blah, blah. Contact us again when you think you're ready, and we'll put you up there again. Now, I'm driving south on the 405 back to Long Beach that night, just devastated. Yeah. I'm just, uh, this this really stinks. And... um so and it's so hard in Southern California because where else are you going to go perform? I remember there was this <laughs> this one club that I went to go check out. It was called um, oh I can't remember. Uh, uh, there's a, a Ladybird or Bluebird or something Bluebird West or something. <clears throat> and I walk in there and it's 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 a completely it, it, it's a it's a black club right with with just you know the MC gets up and he's. He's dropping the f bomb every other word, and I'm like, so they're gonna they, they're gonna have me go up and do some time in front of these people? There's yeah. just no way. And there so, are some very there are a lot of comedy clubs out there that are that cater more to a black audience. Yeah, yeah, and, which is great. Which is which fine. is great. But for but me, I'm no, just, Jeff, you're you're one of the whitest guys I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It just so so you know I was down there for a couple of months and I said you know what I'm going to come back home and uh, I'm going to get a job at Word Perfect which was, you know, the big thing back then. And uh, I'm going to continue to do my comedy stuff on the side, which is what I did. And it worked out wonderfully well. I'd, I would do corporate gigs, like you said. I would do high school graduations. Um, I would do uh, high school reunions and things of that nature. I, I don't think that you can overstate, you know, I, I actually performed last night. I did a show last night and uh, it went great. And you walk off and there is a high yeah. From doing stand up that I think is addictive. You know, mm-hmm. I think that once you get that taste of it, when you control the audience and you you got people laughing and afterward they're coming up and they're, you know, hugging you or whatever, there to me is no lower low mm-hmm. than having a bad show. Yeah. Because you're by yourself. Yeah. In improv or in acting or a play or whatever, you've got people who will make up for you. But it is the loneliest thing in the world to be a stand-up comic not doing well. And yeah. by the way, one, I don't care who you are. You're 
you know, the greatest comedian, you're Jerry Seinfeld or mm-hmm. you're whomever, you've had bad shows. Yeah. And so it's not a reflection on just the comedian or his talent. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's the comedian's timing that night. Sometimes yep. it's a misread of who yeah. the audience is. Yeah. You're trying new stuff, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But when you get done, it's even worse because then you have to, we've all had shows where we've bombed or we've at least not done our best. Yeah. And people don't want to make eye contact with you as they're walking yeah. out. And what's <laughs> yeah. funny is if you kill, they'll walk up going, you were amazing. You were great. Yeah. You were awesome. When yeah. you don't kill, they walk by. They won't look at you, but they'll say, thank you. Yeah. Hey, good show. <laughs> hey, right, hey, good, yeah. good, good job. And that's thanks. in Utah, Sean. That's yeah. in Utah. Yeah. If, you, if you go out, if there's, a, there's a really good documentary out right now. I think it's called Dying on Stage. Mm, and it's on, it's on the airplanes now. But, but yeah. Seinfeld and all these other comedians talk about that and all of those experiences yeah in new york and in la they're not as kind no no yeah in utah they're very generous and kind yeah but uh (laughs) so so you decided to then kind of take a different to take a different track and Mm -hmm. you worked for worked for word perfect Perfect, i was in high tech for a while word perfect became novel became now microfocus yeah Uh, who (laughs) knows names a bunch of times so i did that for seven or eight years and then i made the jump into the uh uh, you know the stock market uh, stuff. Yeah, the option for a while. Yeah, and, and all the while you're doing stand up, you're doing yeah. voiceover, yeah. you're doing all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And then at some point you get this cool opportunity. We it seems like almost every episode we talk about what I keep calling the golden age of Mormon cinema. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> you know it kind of kicked off with God's Army and then took off with uh, the Singles Ward and the RM and all those. Mm-hmm. And then uh, they decided to do a buddy comedy. Oh, yeah. And uh, that takes us to the movie The Home Teachers, of which Jeff is a star. Uh, you know, tell I us go how in, The Home Teachers came about. I, I, I go into Siegel Bookstore and Deseret Bookstore, and it's it, it's not on the shelf anymore. And uh, <laughs> I just don't know. <laughs> Time for part two. But, um, yeah, Michael Berkland, my good old buddy, he, he's, he pretty much has uh, the credit for getting me on that film because – I didn't even know it. See, my whole career, Sean, I've never had an agent. I've never had a manager, right? It's just word of mouth stuff. And uh, so Michael calls me, says, you got to come audition for this movie. I told these guys that that you'd be perfect for it. So at the old, uh, what was it? Apex, you know, it's, 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 the, it's what Vivint is now. It was okay. their startup, you know, name or whatever on State Street in Orem, right across the street from the Sarah Pool. I go and I audition for this thing. And there's Dave Hunter sitting there and Kurt Hale are sitting there. I go walking into this room and Dave Hunter said, right when you walked in, I knew that you were the guy. He, <laughs> he started laughing. I didn't even start doing any of the lines or whatever. And so, uh, so that was that was fun. That was the first movie I ever did, and uh, Michael and I co-starred in it. Uh, yeah, your first. So your first movie, you're the star. Yeah, I mean, this is you and Michael, and 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 for those who haven't seen the Home Teachers, I would say picture Tommy Boy mm-hmm. meets Planes, Trains, and Automobiles meets The yeah. Odd Couple, but yeah. going home teaching. What's the basic? Yeah. Well, first of all, going back, you mentioned Kurt Hale and mm-hmm. Dave Hunter. They yeah. ran Hailstorm mm-hmm. Entertainment, uh, which which basically. Uh, Kurt's a director, Dave's a producer, yep. they made the Singles Ward, they made the RM, they made Church Ball, they yeah. made all these great LDS films. Yeah. Give us the quick synopsis on what what The Home Teachers is. So it's basically, I'm I'm your Ned Flanders, 
right? <laughs> That's a good one. I have got to get that done. But unfortunately, I save it for the last day of the month every single time. Got to get Michael, your home teaching yeah, done. Yeah. Michael Berkland, he's the, you know, uh, I'm not going to do it. You know, it's just whatever. He's a slob. Yeah, slob, wants to watch his sports on Sunday, blah, blah, blah. And so I surprisingly, you know, show up on his doorstep because, you know, I want to get the home teaching done. So we have to fit three home teaching visits in. It's the last day of the month. It's Sunday. And it's just like you said, it's the mayhem that is involved. And it took us a month to shoot it. And one week we were out in uh, El- Alberta, which is out by Santa Quinn. Alberta? I've never even heard of Alberta. Yeah, Alberta. Alberta, Utah. E. And 100-degree uh, weather. If you watch the movie, you'll see us in a lot of shots with the deer head in the car with us, right? Yeah. And what people don't know about that is, first of all, flies were all over the place. Oh, yeah. Second of all, you know, the car was being towed so that we could film the shots in it. And and it looks like we're wearing suits, but underneath we've got shorts on. Yeah, because you know? it's so hot. Oh, and, and Kurt would say, <laughs> cut, and we would roll the windows down and get the little handheld fans going. <laughs> so, uh, but that was a lot of fun. That was a, a good experience. Isn't it fun shooting with Michael? Oh, brother. We, we same thing. <laughs> you guys shooting together. I mean, yeah. you guys must have just been busting each you other. You got to watch the outtakes. Yeah. Because oh, the outtakes will give you a, a perfect example of what it was like to live and breathe that movie with Michael. Um, yeah, we had a blast. It's and you guys, fun. knowing you both really well, uh, you are the perfect archetypes of each other. Yeah. You know, I mean, you're the you're the very neat, yeah. very, you know, <laughs> Michael was heavier at the time. Yeah. And disheveled. I think and it was two thirty. It was it was fantastic. It <laughs> was, was so that was such a fun, fun, fun movie. Yeah. Um, and then you've done one other notable movie, which was Saints and Soldiers: The Void. Yeah, Ryan Little, who is uh, kind of the guy that gets those movies up and running and, and got them going. Now there have been three Saints and Soldiers yeah, movies. And Saints he, and Soldiers, then The Void was the second one. No, no, sorry, Airborne Creed, Airborne was, Creed the was the second, second one. one, and then The Void was the third. Yes. Which and, the void is my favorite. Oh, it's the you. most action, like it's nonstop act. Well, I shouldn't say favorite. They're all fantastic. Yeah, movies. and I, I haven't Great seen the second one yet. I've seen one and three, but but Ryan called me about the first one, and he said, "Hey, I need you to do some voiceover stuff uh, for this." And so in the first one, I'm the I'm the the first voice you hear. It's the guy doing the newsreel in the background. You know the oh yeah. The, our front troops have uh, suffered severe casualties. So I'm trying to do this Ronald Cronkite <laughs> thing, right? And but the other fun thing is after I got done doing that, Ryan says, "Can you stay and just do some some uh, shots uh, or do some voiceover of guys getting shot or tripping?" And I'm like, "Sure." So this was one of the weirdest voiceover. You're doing things. voice work of people tripping. Yeah, you know. <laughs> so Ryan's like, oh, "Okay, go." And so here I am, and and it's it's going like this. Ah. Uh, oh. Uh. <laughs> 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 you know, I mean, that was I, I was sitting in this in studio for like <laughs> that's great. And Ryan's like, okay, now, now do do maybe a softer version. Ah, uh, you know, it was the acting. funniest. Yeah, acting. That's I the world acting. of voiceover, you know. <laughs> so that's how Ryan got in touch with me on this first one, and then he got in touch with me on the third one to play the part of Captain um, Britt McConkie, a real life. Captain, who oh, yes, was he really a real from, life? from the McConkey line? I think his it was he, I think his father was Oscar, and I think Britt's brother was Bruce R. McConkey. 
from what wow. I recall. So he was a captain in World War II yeah. and a tank commander. And so, so my character was based on a real guy. I had from, no idea. I saw yeah. the name McConkey and just thought, okay, we're, no, that we're was, just pulling famous Mormon yeah. names at this point. Yeah, so I got to, I got to do a lot of uh, research on him. The interesting thing is we've, I feel kind of a special connection to, to, to that McConkey name because – First of all, I'm just such a fan of everything Bruce R. McConkie has oh, ever put gosh, out. Yes, but um, his son Joseph Fielding McConkie. Uh, there's a, a slightly Mormon name, Joseph, yeah, Fielding, Joseph Fielding McConkie. McConkie. Yeah. Uh, you know, if there was a Laverle in there as yeah. well, that would be perfect, right? <laughs> but um, so Joseph McConkie was in my parents' ward in Orem, and uh, so I got to know him pretty well through you know Temple Recommend interviews and things like that. But he also. Uh, is or was I should say he's passed on now, but he was a temple sealer, and so he sealed our daughter to us when we adopted her. No yeah. way, yeah. And then you got to play his yeah. uncle. Yeah, I mean, wow, yeah, what it a was, great it was really connection. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, and you kick off the whole movie. I mean, you. So the men report to you, mm-hmm. and you give them these orders. And by the yeah. way, it's so funny to watch you in that role because everything you and I have done together, and we've shared. Should tell the listeners we've shared the stage. I mean, you and I have oh, done improv yeah. together. We've done stand up together. Yeah. But uh, this was a very serious role, and you're sending these men out on this mission. You kind of yeah. kick the whole thing off, saying, "Here's what you're going to go do," yeah. and then they do the whole film. Yeah. And it's what a neat experience that that must have been a very cool thing to be on set. Yeah. What's amazing to me, what Ryan Little has done with those films, the realism of war. I mean, these are. I'll put those up, all three films against any Hollywood production of a war film, you know, big budget, whatever. Mm-hmm. He just, boy, it's Ryan Little job. is talented. Yeah. So you do, you've done some movies now. You've done some uh, some performing stand-up. You, you're a speaker and everything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all these years, I know you, you know, I, I get married in 94, mm-hmm. you know, and Michael, he's mar- everybody's getting married. Jeff's a single guy. Yeah. And, you know, we'd go out to lunch or we'd get together, whatever. Jeff's single yeah. all the way through. How old were you when you got married? I was 40 years old. 40 years old. Yeah. Never Which, had been married before. As a Mormon, you were 128. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I was a menace to society. <laughs> yeah. You, know? you were a miscreant. Yeah. 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 So and, did you go to the mid-singles wards? Did you yeah, do that transition? Yep. I got home for my mission. I did everything that, you know, you would expect someone to do. I went to BYU and I was dating girls and stuff and everything and and uh, got close a couple of times. Was even engaged when I was 30. I'm thinking, oh, perfect. Because when I'm 31, <laughs> I didn't want to have to, you know, yeah. leave my singles ward leave and, the go singles and, yeah, and go to you know? mid-singles. Yeah. But that didn't work out. So here I'm, I'm single and, and, you know, after that, particular relationship broke up it was that was a a, in many instances a breaking point for me i i checked out for about eight years you know just i'm done i'm done trying i'm done trying work this isn't the plan and you know the job that i had at the time it traveled i traveled a ton so that was a nice distraction um but i i really just kind of you know i i didn't i didn't go inactive but I certainly wasn't super active and and all of that. I just I just you know. How did you tough. maintain your faith? I mean, you didn't you didn't fall away from the church, mm-hmm. you know. But that many years, there are some people who would say, you know what? I keep hearing about you know the family and the proclamation, and yeah. I'm supposed to be married. I'm doing what I what I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. How did you keep yourself motivated and active? 
I would, I'd probably have to give, uh, you know, my parents a big credit for that. Uh, they, um, you know, they never bugged me about it. Yeah. When are you going to get married? That type of a thing. Uh, we, we had a good relationship along those lines, but I'll tell you, Sean, for me, um, there was nothing that was going to happen to me or that I was going to allow to happen, um, that would have shaken my testimony or caused me to leave, you know, no matter how bad things got, no matter, I don't know, how sinful things became or whatever you want to however you want to look at it, there was still that foundation, that solid root in there. And I just knew deep inside that things were going to work out. Yeah. I just, I just knew that. And so about the time when I was 38, I, I, I really had an experience, personal experience that just made me say, okay, now is the time. I've got to just, you know, I got to get serious yeah. about my personal life. And then once I get that going, I'll leave it up to the Lord to see what else comes in. And then, I don't know, it must have been, I think about a year, maybe a year and a half later, I met my wife. Uh, we How'd you guys meet? Blind date. Blind date? Blind date. We had our, a, a lunch. Did somebody at, set uh, you up or? No, she saw me and wished that I was blind or she was blind. Yeah. <laughs> but um, anyway, um, so we had, uh, we, uh, my sister and one of her uh, cousins grew up together in Torrance, California, and then they got us together. Here we are years later, meeting at McGrath's Fish House at the at the Gateway, right? Wow. And um, so that was in December, and then uh, by February, we were starting to talk about marriage, and then six months after that, uh, we got married. She's My wife's from Germany, and... Um, it was pretty great because once we decided to get married, she said, well, I'm going to call Elder Uchtdorf's office to see if he can do the ceiling. <laughs> I'm like, who? who? What, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, because we're the. from Germany. Yeah. Her dad, you know, my, my wife's father had been a branch president for years. And so he had had a lot of communication and dealings with Elder Uchtdorf because he was a regional rep, I guess, over in Germany at the time. So, uh, you know, she calls me a, a week or two later. Yeah, he's going to do it. You know, he's going to see President Nukdorf. Yeah, yeah. Which is one of what the reasons was... why I think our, our ceiling session was full to capacity. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not I for think us. So. I think, no, but I mean, of course, they're there for you. But yeah, uh, I yeah. mean, what an amazing thing. Yeah, that was, that was really cool. And the cool thing, Sean, is that her mom and dad obviously flew in from Germany to be there. And um, they don't speak English. So Elder Uchtdorf does everything up until the actual, you know, ceiling. He does everything in English, and then he summarizes it all in German for them. Wow! Yeah. And there were oh, other few. There Jeff, were a few other German what an people experience. there, and uh, it was great. He had this this card with about eight points on it. You know, hold hands, and yep. uh, you know. This, that, and the other. And but you better one. do it because President Newdorf yeah. is telling you, yeah. this is what you're going to so do. So it's such a teaching moment for not just us, but everybody there. Yeah. And, and he gets down to a point number seven-ish right in there. And he goes, in and, and, and classic Uchtdorf formula, point number seven, have a sense of humor. <laughs> and everybody, everybody looks right at me, yeah, right in the great. ceiling, you know, and Perfect. he's kind of not really in on the joke, but yeah. it, it I, was I don't think so that's going to be an issue. Yeah. <laughs> and, and what's your wife's name? Brittany. Brittany. Yeah, her name, yeah. her, her, her German name is Britta. Britta. But yeah. she changed it because when she moved over here, when she was 17, everybody said Britta. Yeah. Like the water filter. Like the water filter. It bugged the heck oh, out yeah. of her, so she, she changed it to Brittany. Yeah. Yeah. Brittany. That's fantastic. <laughs> and then 
Tell us about uh, how your family has grown since then. Well, it's interesting. Me being 40, my wife being 39, first time married for both of us. We're thinking, hey, we're going to have three, four kids, whatever. And it just wasn't happening. Yeah, it, wasn't it just there. wasn't working out. Um, and so uh, we we had started to think about adoption a little bit. We had followed some interesting avenues. We looked at agencies. We we looked at international, right? Yeah. Haiti and, and other countries. Right. Um, but as an absolute piece of luck and blessing, uh, one of my sister's friends who was suffering from cancer at the time, we went up and visited her. Uh, she had a sister-in-law whose, whose sister was looking to uh, have somebody adopt her baby. She just found out that she was pregnant. Uh, about five or six weeks pregnant f- from her boyfriend that she had been living with for five years and he cheated on her. And so now she's like, I, I want to have this baby of mine go to a mother and father. Um, wow. And and one thing led to another. <clears throat> and, uh, I'm, and, and you know, the, 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 there are obviously huge blessings to that. Um, the, apart from the, the whole, uh, you know, the, the normal things, but the thing that's really sad, Sean is, when it comes to adoption, it is so expensive. Yeah. When you have to go through an agency, oh, it you're, is. you're looking from the low end, 25000 up to forty grand. Yeah. Now, here's the other sad part 25000 for a black, right? You know, an African American male, yeah. 40000 for a Caucasian female. Isn't that just. Yeah, and and so I mean that is really sad. Yeah, I think about all the we're valuing humans. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's just yeah, that's and, heartbreaking. And so so you know I know that agencies need to make their money and blah blah blah, but you know when 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 Brittany and I did our adoption, it was a private adoption. Yeah, did not go through an agency, and I think we spent a total of seventy five hundred bucks. Yeah. And I wish, you know, because there are so many great couples out there that, that would be wonderful parents. They can't have kids. But, but it's but come up with because of the cost twenty five thirty thousand yeah. dollars and yeah and, I, and I'll just put in a plug for adoption you know I have five adopted children five of my seven children are adopted mm-hmm. we adopted older kids mostly from the state we did adopt a one and two year old from the state but there are a lot of kids in the foster care system yeah that if you're listening you have space in your heart and your home mm-hmm. there are also older kids but I'll one other thing I'll say about adoption and you know this well. Um, there is the plan of salvation. Mm-hmm. There is our kids who are born to us biologically, mm-hmm. and there are kids who come to us through other people and through adoption. Yeah, and there is no difference in God's plan. That's right. And we I are know all adopted. They yeah. all come through, and my adopted kids were preordained to come to my family, and we have received that. That's right. And what a blessing for yeah. for you and Brittany. That is. Awesome. Yeah. The, the, you, you reminded me of a really cool part of when we had Sydney, our daughter, sealed to us. <clears throat> um, uh, you know, Brother McConkey, just the consummate teacher, his life, you know, he was a chaplain in the army and then he spent the rest of his career teaching at BYU. But he talked about 3rd Nephi 17. In specific, the end when you know, the children are visited to or, or visited by angels and are, right. in, you know, encircled by fire. And he talked about how now that Sydney is sealed to us, she has access to all of the spirits that are available to her to help her and minister to her. And he oh. specifically testified that 
our relatives are now her relatives. And he essentially said, come on, who, who else is going to come down and help you? You know, wh- what do you think, what do you think Christ is talking about? Who do you think the people are that are coming down and visiting those children? It's their line. It's their relatives. And so now Sydney by adoption has access to, you know, help from my ancestors that have passed uh. on in my line. So it's just, yeah, we're all I literally adopted. just got goosebumps. That is the most beautiful yeah, thing. That's, was, and was and I'll tell you, having been sealed four separate times, we did adopt two siblings. Mm-hmm. I feel for people who have not gotten to go through that. Yeah. Because what a special we blessing had, uh, it is. I've got a relative that they've got, I think, I don't know how many, they got, I think about six kids. And so they came to our ceiling for Sydney to us. And he, he was kind of jokingly complaining, saying, Gosh, why why is it that kids that are born under the covenant you they know, don't get they to have the ceiling. they don't get to do it, that every time, right? It, it is special <laughs> when they come in in all white. Every mm-hmm. single time one of my kids has walked in in all white or been carried in, yeah, I just fall apart. Yeah, I just ball. Yeah, Jeff, this has been such a great discussion. You're you're now a published author. We'll kind of wrap up with that. Mm-hmm. Just tell us about Train Like a Rockstar. So. Um, so what I've done for the past six years, six years December, I will have been at OC Tanner. And that's another interesting point, Sean, is that amid my comedy career, I've always had a full-time job. Yeah. Because that, for me, is the way that I'm taking care of me as uh, well. my family. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I know Scott, Christopher, and I have talked about this a lot. You know, if stuff's going to happen on this other thing, other other stuff that we're doing, it's going to be under the Lord's terms, right? Right. So um, with O.C. Tanner, what, what, what I do is I go out and I speak a lot about um, – you know, appreciating and, and validating the, the work that your coworkers do. And if you're especially in a leadership position, but as you're I started, speaking to huge companies, yeah, huge groups, yeah, I mean, yeah. So, you know, I mean, fortune 500 yeah. companies, have you come speak mm-hmm, to them? Mm-hmm. And yeah. But I mean, Honda, Liberty Mutual, uh, yeah. Foot Locker, uh, New York Presbyterian hospital. And uh, so as I started to go out and speak to them, I would also be exposed to their trainers and training. And sometimes I'd go to these training trade shows and I was amazed at how bad the trainers were. Yeah. And the thought occurred to me, I should do something. I should come up with a keynote or a half day workshop or a book about my experiences as a comedian and applying those things to being a better trainer or being a public speaker. You don't even have to be a trainer. Being a sacrament speaker. That's exactly right. <laughs> Any Anything that you Anyone do, who speaks, yeah. Anybody that speaks. And so I wrote this book called uh, Train Like a Rockstar, Speaking Tips from a Stand-Up Comedian. I've got chapters on how to capture your audience in the first two minutes, how to memorize better, how to tell stories effectively, uh, how to handle people that are bored or busy or booing you. Um, I go through all of that in, in the book. And I really hope that you're not a bad enough speaker that people are booing you in a sacrament yeah. meeting. That <laughs> would know. that would be you a really suck. that would yeah. be a really bad sacrament meeting. Yeah. So yeah. So uh, so well, I went out and I presented this uh, at a couple trade shows. Uh, the Association of Talent and Development is probably the biggest one out there. And um, I, I you know I picked up a couple of uh, clients as a result. You know, and they had me come in for half a uh, half a day and teach their trainers how to do it. And so, I, I mean, shameless plug, if any of you are interested in improving your speaking or training abilities, uh, get in touch with me. You know, I'm yeah. happy to give you some ideas. How or, can people find you? Uh, probably the, if it's through that, um, you know, that venue, it would just be jeff at trainlikearockstar.rocks. Not dot dot rocks. Yeah, dot rocks. Wow, train like a rock star dot rocks. Yes, because train like a rock star dot com wasn't available. <laughs> oh darn it! So Jeff at train like a rock star dot rocks. R O C K S. Yeah. 
That's great. Well, it's a it's a great. I've, so I've listened to part of the audiobook of it, mm. which you are the narrator. That and, was a fun read for me because yeah. it was like performing in front of the mic. And I would almost recommend on this one maybe getting the audiobook yeah. instead of the book because yeah. you actually hear that you come alive really you know, inflecting and Mm -hmm. teaching people. So Yeah, it's like, you know, if I'm going to teach you how to tell a certain joke that's going to kill every time, you want to hear me tell it because the pausing for effect is so critical. Yeah. So before, there's no way I can do this interview without, uh, there's always a final question we ask. Okay. Uh, But I want to have you do something before the final question. Unfortunately, when I had Stephen Jones here, I asked him the final question, which is very spiritual. Then I had him do his impression of Denzel Washington, (laughs) and it was the wrong order. So I, if you are willing to do this on the podcast, I would love for you to do your monster truck bit so that people can hear it. If uh, it is, you know, it's morning time as we're recording. It's a little early. That's okay. But I will tell you, I've heard this 50 times and it, and you can do the setup and everything. I would love, I think our audience would love it. Yeah. I would always come in and and say, hey, boy, you guys are in a good mood, right? And everyone's, yeah, this kind of reminds me of the monster truck and truck to pull show I went to just last week you know how many of you've been to these and people resign yeah, yeah oh there's my magna people right back there yeah. right yeah love, <laughs> love it you know I was not planning on going to the monster truck and tractor pull show until I saw the commercial and this guy doing the commercial was so excited I was well I I, I, I almost had to go to the bathroom you know right in the, in the middle of the commercial <clears throat> this guy starts out Prepare yourself for nothing but power, power, power. Goodyear presents the U.S. Hot Rod Monster Truck Racing Spectacular invading the Delta Center April 1st and 2nd. Experience Quinn Rathman and his incredible mountain of mechanized machinery, Thor Ryan, a sleek 200-mile-per-hour jet dragster that transforms itself before your very eyes into a gut-belching, rocket-shooting robot. Also see the ultimate Ford Phantom versus the Chevy Shell Shock in a battle of the monster trucks that is sure to singe your nasal hair. <laughs> I've I've heard that fifty times in my life, and it never gets old. It's so and great. that's it's so funny because that uh, everybody's heard that. I haven't We've done all... that. I don't know in about a year or two, maybe. But it's right there. But it's just there. And I remember the first yeah. time I went on stage to do it, I made it about halfway through, and and uh, you know, but but man, the second time or the third time, yeah. once you get it, you've got it. And uh, well, there are certain bits that people are identified with. I had Dave Nibley do his impression of. Uh, People from Spanish Fork, and I had mm. Stephen Jones do his uh, his Denzel Washington as a uh, seminary teacher, and it was <laughs> anyway. But this this I think is your signature bit. And, so did you and, ever? Did you have Scott Christopher do his Hot Rod Hundley as a flight attendant for Delta? No, oh, gosh, gosh. He mentioned his Hot Rod Hundley. I can't even thing. do it justice. But imagine, and I'm not going to try to. But he's he's got this, uh, you know. Yeah, put your seats in the upright position. Ah, uh, go ahead and give me your. Uh, yeah, I can't Rod even. For years, was the voice of the Utah Jazz. Yeah, yeah. but he's he's talking about. I got to come bobbing and weaving down the aisle and pick up those mini bottles. Oh, you know, it's man, so I wish we had funny. talked about it. <laughs> well, Jeff, this has just been an awesome conversation. We close every week with the same question for our guest, which uh, is what? And it's a broad question, but what does? What does being a member of the church mean for you or to you? Oh, boy. It's a big question. You know, it it reminds me of a common phrase that we hear every time we receive a new calling in the church. We go in and we are set apart, right, for that calling. And so for me, being a member of the church means being set apart from uh, 
uh, others, I, I would say. Not above them, but you're, you're actually, by, by taking on the name of Christ, you are setting yourself apart as, as one of his disciples, which means, you know, in thought, word, deed, action, um, I need to, you know, walk the walk, walk the talk, talk the walk, however you want to say it. And uh, I'd have to say over the, especially since I got married, this is becoming a lot more important to me, is doing the basics, you know, fasting on fast Sunday, praying, reading the scriptures, all of the stuff that you always hear. And, um, but just, just doing those maybe a little more above and beyond what is typical. Um, but it's just, uh, you know, and I've, you know, like I said, as I've, as I've talked about, I've, I've had peaks and valleys for sure. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, and, and I know that the, the other people that you've interviewed, as all of us have, we, we have our, our own peaks and valleys. And um, those, those are the times, those are the things that, that make us strong. You know, and one last thing I'll, that reminded me, you reminded me of, I either read a talk or heard a talk recently that talked about the Jaredite barges being driven towards the promised land. And uh, it's in chapter six of Ether. And what we fail to sometimes realize is that the barges were submerged completely in water. You talk about despair, right? But they were lifted back up to the surface. And how were they driven to the promised land? By a storm, mm. by a very strong wind. And like our lives, without the winds, without the strong storms, we're not going to get anywhere. Wow. You know? So I think about those barges, those, those, what if there was no wind? What if it was a lake, like calm yeah, as a lake? They wouldn't get sitting. anywhere. Yeah. So as I've thought about that, you know, that's, that's, that's great. That helps me to identify myself as what I need to do and, and uh, the way I need to live and, and uh, to is. embrace the storms rather than try to avoid them. You know, they're going to come. Yeah. So. That's the that's the one thing that's for sure, Jeff. This has been delightful. I'm so glad we're Likewise. friends, and I appreciate you coming in the studio today. Thanks, Sean. Uh, Jeff is a speaker. He is an author, published author now. He is a an actor and a tremendous comedian, and now a husband and a father and a great woman. So, Jeff, thanks for being here. Thank you. What a great interview. Wow. Thank you uh, to Jeff Burke for being on. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Isn't he just an amazing guy? Uh, this week in my latter day life, other than the fact that I almost have no voice, um, what's been on my mind, uh, and it came up again with, with Jeff when he talked about uh, not getting married until he was 40. And I so appreciated him being open about it. And it's funny if you look at the rest of the U.S., you know, getting married when you're 40 is such a normal thing. And yet we have these stigmas or these things within the church uh, that we put pressure on ourselves to somehow be like there's a right way to be Mormon and there are certain things you have to do. And I think the truth is that uh, each and every one of us have our own struggles. And sometimes we want to hide those struggles. And yet the more that we're open about it and the more we're frank and as a matter of fact about it, I think the more we can help one another, I was listening to a podcast earlier this week. It's called the Cultural Hall Podcast, and uh, Richie Stedman and Jenny Noonan-Dye were on, and Jenny 
was talking about uh, some struggles she was having with her daughter, and she was talking about how she deals with it with her husband, as well as with her ex-husband, who's that daughter's father, and uh, her ex-husband's wife, and how the four of them work together, and kind of how they coach it through, and the struggle with, with this daughter. And I loved how open she was, and how much she was sharing about her divorce, and what they go through, and and uh, and how they now work together. I just thought it was awesome. And then Richie started talking about how his girlfriend is not a member, uh, and how he brings her to church, and some of the conversations that they have with him dating a non-member. And I just thought it was so awesome. And sometimes, you know, when topics come up, and families, I've seen it firsthand. I've lived it where families, uh, maybe they're dealing with depression or maybe it's addiction or it's, you know, kids who don't want to go on a mission or don't want to stay active, or maybe it's divorce or it's a spouse who leaves the church or, or maybe it's just having doubts about the church and people don't want to acknowledge these things, that these things exist. But the more that we are open about it, the more that we talk about it, the more we share with one another, the better it is. I'm so grateful for Elder Holland as we've had some mental health problems in our family, as so many families do, that uh, Elder Holland gave his beautiful talk, Like a Broken Vessel, where he discussed uh, mental and emotional challenges. If you're struggling with something, gosh, the church has so many wonderful resources. If you go to LDS.org, there are resources for everything from addiction to divorce to losing a family member, to whatever it is, whatever you're struggling with that you feel bottled up inside, uh, shame is not one of the fruits of the Spirit. It's the opposite. Satan wants us to feel ashamed. He wants us to feel alone. He wants us to feel like we're the only people on earth struggling with these things. And I'm just so grateful for those who are willing to talk about it and for the church and all of their resources And that's what's been on my mind this week. Um, In closing, I just want to thank you all for tuning in. I promise I'll have a better voice next week. Uh, If you have any thoughts, please feel free to email me at Sean, that's S-H-A-W-N, at LatterdayLives.com. Show notes will be available um, on LatterdayLives.com. You can click through. We'll have links to just about everything that we've talked about. We are on social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. If you just search for Latterday Lives, you should be able to find us. And if you enjoy the podcast, I know you probably get tired of me asking, but there's nothing we appreciate more than you sharing this with somebody else. We love new listeners. We've set a new record every single week since we started, and we're just so grateful for it. And if you think that you have a minute, you could leave a review. Boy, we appreciate that too. Um, Just give us a review. It helps us to be found on, on Apple Podcasts and on all the other formats. And again, this week, as always, we'll leave you with this, that there is a great, big, beautiful world out there. So go be in it, just not of it. Thanks for listening.